You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 184. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and I am excited about tonight. Driving down from Huntsville to Birmingham to see the Blues Traveler. I'm never really sure how many people have heard of the Blues Traveler band, but this dude wails on a harmonica. They were super popular in the mid to late 90s. I'm still a huge fan. Um, I love harmonica and music, and so I'm super pumped. It's an opportunity to go see a band that I really, really enjoy in a much smaller venue than the traditional arena style that most of the bands that I go watch are playing in. So super pumped about that. It's also going to be in a humongous bar, um, so there's absolutely going to be a lot of uh, drinking going on, and it's one of the things that I have been you know, really adventuring through over the last five and a half years was my ability to go into settings like this that you know could have been a trigger for me in the past, but are certainly no longer bringing that kind of emotion, eliciting that kind of charge in me. Um, I mean, from the get-go, it was one of my main, main focuses on my sobriety and recovery was going to be my ability to continue going into uh, bars and arenas and places where alcohol and perhaps even drugs would be very prevalent and still be able to enjoy being there so that I could see the live music. Live music is one of the things that fuels me. I, it's, it's, it's a passion. I am not a musician, never really been one, you know, messed around on the ukulele and the guitar and on the harmonica and on the xylophone. When I was, when I was a kid, I loved the xylophone. Um, but I bring to music, the appreciation of music. And when, so when I talk to people about my love affair for music and they're like, Oh, what do you play? I'm like, Oh, I'm actually the most important part of the live music scene. I am the appreciative audience. I understand and pay attention to the nuances of the song and what the lyrics mean to me, to the musician, to the audience. And, you know, otherwise musicians playing in an empty auditorium, in an empty venue. And while people who love to play music would play it to themselves in front of a mirror, uh, certainly the vibrations that they get from the audience enjoying their gift, their craft, um, you know, what does that elicit in them? What does that evoke in them that continues to have them, has the musician doing this as a career for years and years and decades and decades? Um, it's, I think, one of the most important aspects is having an audience that, you know, is present and there and ready to accept this person's um, m- melodic, you know, meditation, if you will, at a very loud level. So I'm pumped. I don't know if you can tell I'm pumped, but I am pumped. And that got me to thinking about how are we talking to ourselves in our heads about what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our sobriety and recovery? Because certainly I know some people who are still afraid of you know, having some trepidation, some fear about going to live music, about going to bars, about going to sporting events because alcohol and potentially drugs could be available and, and there at these events. So how do you talk to yourself about where you're at in your sobriety and recovery 
about what it is you're experiencing in your sobriety and recovery that can open you up to the opportunity to go out and experience things that you potentially really enjoy doing as a when you were in your addiction mode that you don't want to have to release. Maybe you want to go to sporting bars. You want to be able to go to live music. You want to be able to go to raves. Or you want to be able to go to weddings and family functions and bar mitzvahs and quinceaneras. And yet here you are being surrounded by people drinking and partying and you aren't partaking in that anymore. What is it you're saying to yourself in your head as this stuff is playing out? Because it's how you're internalizing these events, what you're saying to yourself about these events before you go into them that is going to begin to build up your confidence or erode your confidence. Before you even get there, you will have already come up with preconceived ideas about what's going to happen, theories about what you'll do. You've probably played it out in your head multiple times. And if there is a part of you that potentially wants to go backward and go back into that world, you can start rationalizing why having one or two or, hey, you know what, it's it's my dad's 50th birthday, uh, it's my grandma's 80th birthday, I mean, it's my, my kid just graduated college, of course I want to have a drink with them. You can rationalize and mental gymnastic your way into any decision. How about you rationalize and mental gymnastic your way into continuing on the decision you've already made, which is to no longer become an intoxicated individual? So when we start to tear apart, and I don't know if I like the word tear, if we start to um, break apart, we start to tinker with this, right? Like, you know, were you one of those kids? Imagine, if you will, that you had a screwdriver in your hand and you were a child and you were like, I'm going to start taking things apart. Uh, My sister certainly was the kind of child who wanted to take things apart. And I found myself (laughs) attempting to put many an alarm clock or Coleco back together um, and Absolutely, part of my brain enjoyed figuring out how to set the VCR as a child or you know how to win at a certain game once you figured out the moves that was going to take down the big boss. There is a part of our brains that enjoys taking things apart and putting them back together. It's, a, it's sort of a creation, right? It's like you reverse engineer it. So when we start to ask ourselves, what are we doing in our sobriety and recovery to get us to a certain outcome? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to picture ourselves with that outcome, the good outcome. We went to the wedding. We had a blast. We danced with everybody. We laughed with everybody. And now we're leaving. We're getting behind the wheel of our car, and we are absolutely sober. We are sober. Boom, shakalaka. That's a victory for us. That's the end outcome here. And now what we're going to do is we're going to reverse engineer it. And we're going to say, okay, what were the things that I did throughout the night that got me to my car behind the wheel completely sober after an amazing event? So here's what we're going to do. Now, one of my tribal members gave me a really great idea the other day. They said, you are super conversational and sometimes you do go up and down and squirrel around on these paths. So how about you let us know what the thesis statement is for the show. So we go into it knowing what it is we're going to be covering, and we can be listening for the certain aspects that pertain to us. So I like the idea of giving you an overarching idea of what this episode is going to be about. We're going to be talking about how to reverse engineer yourself from the outcome you desire 
all the way through the process so you get yourself sitting at home where you're getting dressed to go to the event and you're thinking about what's going to begin to happen throughout the night that's going to get you to your well-formed outcome, which in this case is going to be getting behind the wheel of your car after an amazing event that you really wanted to attend and you're sober as a judge. That's going to be our well-formed outcome because it's something that I'm going to be going through tonight, right? This is this is something I've already done hundreds of times in my sobriety and recovery, go to awesome events and get in my car and be sober as a judge and drive home. For some of y'all out there, you might be thinking, man, I want to go to live shows. I want to go to events and birthdays and, and weddings, and I don't want to be stressing out about all the people that will be drinking because that's what happens. And you get a bunch of humans together at an event where everyone's celebrating. People drink. And we aren't trying to push our ideals about our life on other people. Uh, it's like I chose not to drink. I'm not going to demand that events I go to don't have alcohol at them. I would prefer there not be plates of blow everywhere. Sure, I will just exodus those events. I'm not even gonna no, not even gonna entertain that. But there will be alcohol. There, there's going to be alcohol at events. That's it's legal. It's socially acceptable. It's just the way that it is. Now you can go to sober events, and certainly you can remedy the idea that there could be alcohol there. But let's face it, that's putting a lot of control over that situation that most of the time you're not going to be able to manage. You're not going to be able to dictate that there's no alcohol at events. If I were to go to a Recovery Dharma event or um, an event for Fora, Friends of Recovery Alabama, or Not One More Alabama, yes, absolutely, pretty much guarantee not going to be alcohol at those events. Otherwise, more than likely there's going to be alcohol at them. So the thesis for this is reverse engineering from your outcome you desire all the way down to the very first step of you getting ready to go to the event. So let's discuss this. One of the things that I coach a lot of people on that, even though we've been talking about it on this show for 180 plus episodes, is having a well-formed outcome for where it is you want to end up at the end. Now, life is a journey, not a destination. We have discussed that a ton of times because when you set a destination and then you get on the, the journey, you get on the adventure, things aren't going to play out the way that you thought they would, right? Because there's going to be external forces. Even if it's just you going on a hike and you're like, I'm going to go up this trail and I'm going to go up to the top and I'm going to take some pictures and I'm going to drink some delicious soda water and then I'm going to walk back down. There could be a snake in the path. There could be a branch. There could be a really cool trail that you didn't even see that now you're going off on that. Who knows? Who knows? There's infinite, infinite possibilities. And when we start to get ourselves set upon this idea that there is a certain destination, then there can be this cognitive distortion. There's can, there can be this sort of messing with our minds that says, well, Jesse says that we can't get to a certain destination. But now he's telling me, let's get to this one particular destination, which is being sober in our car, driving home at the end of the night. Now, again, when we try to use overarching, these huge umbrellas to put all topics underneath, we will find that there's times where it won't necessarily fit. It won't fit underneath that umbrella. And this is potentially one of those opportunities for us to discuss the variables of life. That, yes, 
at the end of tonight, I will get into that car and I will be sober. That's just, it's a guarantee. I mean, it is an absolute guarantee. Now, what's going to happen along that adventure that gets me sober into that car? That I have no idea. I could stand in the back the entire time and cheering on the band, or I could be right in the front ready to catch that harmonica. A lot of things are going to happen that are going to get me into that car, but I will get into that car sober. I will drive home where more variables will decide whether I get home safely or not. Will there be a deer? Will a semi-truck blow a tire? I don't know. But I know that my abilities to maintain a level head and groundedness at these events is absolutely something I have experience in. And I also know that my ability to drive safely at night, knowing that there can be a lot of distractions and things I don't see in the shadows, I know I have the ability to do that as well. So I have put effort into gaining these capabilities that will get me to my well-formed outcome. I will be flexible in the idea that what is going to get me to that well-formed outcome is going to shift. That's where the flexibility comes in. That this idea that things are uh, not destination-driven but journey-driven, it is having the flexibility along the path that gets you there to that quote-unquote destination. At the end of the night, I'm going to be laying down in my bed at like 2 or 3 in the morning once I drive home and getting myself as good a night's sleep as I can before I get up the next day having gone to an amazing show. Whatever the event is for you, that's going to be your goal to be laying your head down in your pillow and going to sleep at the end of the night. This is not something that we could have always guaranteed ourselves during active using. All right, we have several times where I'm like, maybe I sleep in the bathtub, maybe I sleep in the alley, maybe I wake up in jail. So now we have this opportunity to go on this journey to get us to this outcome, to get us to this destination of in bed. That's something that we absolutely can utilize today as a destination. When we start talking about our sobriety and recovery and will you have a better job or or better communication with your spouse or your family or your kids, that's where that destination starts to morph along the way of the journey. So it's something that is much more broad, whereas being in my bed tonight safely at home underneath the electric blanket is much more well-defined. Like that is a destination that I can say, yep, that can happen. Whereas this journey, this adventure we're on with sobriety and recovery, there's so many different variables. And when we say, I want to have a communicative conversation with my children, who knows what that's going to be like? Is that going to be talking a lot or listening a lot? You don't know. But at the end, you will have a feeling, a sense of whether you accomplish that goal of having a connective conversation with your child. And if you don't feel it was as connective as it could be, then you will ask yourself some questions and figure out what it is you could could potentially do more desirable in the future and then do it again tomorrow. But that's the difference between a destination of communicative conversations with my children versus finding myself at home underneath the electric blanket safely in bed with my pillow. All right, one is supremely easy to define. The other one's not so much. So again, let's... Get your mind around this idea that there are variables in destinations, and there's obviously going to be a lot of variables in the journey. Now, recently, I was watching this show on Prime called The Lord of the Rings, and so any of y'all who are into that kind of stuff, you may have watched this series that they made, and at the end of the first season, 
this wizard who will eventually become Gan- Gandalf the Grey or White or, or whatever. I don't memorize these shows, but I do know that he's the future wizard. Um, he looks at this little Harfoot, which is like a um, hobbit, a future hobbit. It's like as evolution happens, this Harfoot turns into a hobbit, I suppose. I read on the internet. Whatever. Not important. What's important is he turns to this little Harfoot. And he says that a um, journey is done alone, but an adventure is done with someone else. And I've been calling what we're doing journeys for so long that when he said that, I was like, oh my gosh, we are actually on an adventure. We are doing this together. We are a part of this. Even if you're only a listener who's never reached out, I play some role. You have a team around you that helps you with your sobriety and recovery. You're on an adventure. And it just, I liked the shift in framing. Complete sidebar here. But it's like you have other people in your world guiding you along, helping you along, that you support, they support. It's pretty amazing that we're on this adventure together. And when we go to these events and people are drinking, they may not necessarily in those moments be as into your adventure as you are because they might want to still drink. And you're on your journey of sobriety and recovery. They're on their journey of still doing whatever the hell they want with that, with alcohol and drugs. And in those moments, you have to realize that you are doing your best with the resources you have. And so when you start to come up with this well-formed outcome of how you're going to end up at home underneath your version of an electric blanket with your comfy pillow in your bed, safe at the end of the night, having gone to an event where people were getting intoxicated, that's your opportunity to make sure you have formulated what you can do on your journey while being involved in the whole group's adventure. When you get yourself caught up into what will they think, what will they see, what will they experience from me if I'm not drinking, if I'm not doing drugs, if I'm not being this old version of who I am, right? What you will do in those moments is you'll question your decisions. You'll think you're being judged. You'll think they're trying to manipulate you. You'll think a lot of different, quote unquote, negative thoughts around this, which will elicit feelings, which which will morph into your actions. I cannot stress to you enough how important it is for you to realize that how other people choose to live their lives when it comes to getting intoxicated should not, cannot have an effect on you that will cause you to go backwards. People are going to do whatever people are going to do. You couldn't have been controlled. How many times has somebody come to you and said, wow, you're using is, (laughs) I mean, come on, man. Like, uh, I drink, but you take it to a whole nother level. I mean, I had friends who had nicknames like Tornado and Hurricane and Blizzard because of of how they would party. And yet, I was called the Apocalypse because I took it to a whole nother level. Jesse comes to town, you know, some shit's about ready to hit the fan. Like, my hardest core party friends still thought I partied too hard. So... When I ultimately got sober, I realized that they weren't going to change because I changed, and I couldn't ask them to. That wasn't the point of me quitting. Me quitting was on me. But no matter how many times back in the day, they'd say, man, just temper it down a little bit. I wouldn't listen. I could justify my behaviors no matter what. And that's where you're at now. If you have quit and other people around you are still wanting to partake, 
they're going to be able to justify their behavior no matter what. You cannot control what they're going to do. You can only control how you are going to react and respond to what it is they're doing. So as you build this well-formed outcome of, you know, and again, we're reverse engineering it. You're like, I'm going to end up at home underneath my electric blanket, cozy pillow, completely sober. Awesome. Now you know how you're going to get there. I'm sorry. Now you know where you want to get to. How are we going to get there? You know, when you first start off getting ready at the beginning of the night, maybe you're in the shower. Let's start off at the very beginning. You're in the shower. You're getting ready to you know, do your hair or your makeup. You're getting ready to put on all your clothes. And you're thinking about how the night's going to play out. Do you have some things in place that will be able to, let's say, be your be your safety mechanism, Make, be, be your parachute pull. Um, think about Top Gun or somebody who flies fighter jets. They've got that little lever on the seat, when the, you know, that ejector thing. They pull it, shoots them right out. Do you have some ideas, some plans in place that will get you out of a situation that could in that moment be triggering you toward a negative thought pattern that, will, that potentially could lead you back to using? Right? And this doesn't just have to be somebody trying to shove a shot in your face. Right? This could be somebody um, talking shit about your sobriety, and that's extreme. But let's go to something that maybe they don't even realize is triggering. They could bring up politics or religion or childhood. Who knows? Right? We all have so many different triggers that came from our childhood. And in future episodes, we're going to start talking about some of these because nothing is wrong with you. I'm learning in my addiction recovery class that I'm taking through the University of Alabama a lot of cool things. And a lot of it is stuff I've heard, but it's reframing the way I'm going to talk about it. And I've been saying for a long time now, nothing's wrong with us, but things happened to us. And that's one of the ways that they have, they're teaching us to talk to people in addiction recovery and, and looking to get into addiction recovery is that nothing is wrong with you. The question to ask is, what happened to you? What happened in your life that elicited the, this, these negative emotions, that caused this trauma, that spiraled you down into the depths of addiction? Because we can reverse engineer again what got you there, and we can actually use it as strengths for now. So let's do that. Let's do that in this situation. Right? Somebody might bring up politics or religion or childhood trauma or something that was super embarrassing that you did back in the day when you got intoxicated. That might elicit a negative charge, an undesirable charge within you. What are you going to do in those moments? Are you going to laugh it off? Are you going to casually just change the topic? Are you going to you know, dive into it and make fun of yourself for a little bit? And, and then you know, everybody just sort of giggles and then the conversation just naturally sw- switches. Any of those are possibilities. Which one is going to work for you? See, it's not about coming up with infinite different um, hypotheticals so that you can see yourself in this conversation. You already are. You already have had an experience like this. Even if you're not sober and you're just sober curious right now, you absolutely can call back onto a time you were in a social circle and something uncomfortable happened. Now, as a user, somebody actively using, you probably just went and got another drink. Did another line, hit, hit another bong swat, whatever it was. But now we're sober. We don't get to use those mechanisms to deflect negative emotions anymore. We are internalizing things deeper. We're feeling things at a whole other level. We're shifting the way that our brain experiences pleasure. 
And now we're coming up with a whole new way of living our life. So as you're sitting there and you're getting dressed and you're getting ready to get in your car and you're getting ready to drive to this event, ask yourself, what mechanisms, what do you have in place that can get you out of situations if that's what you need in that moment to get out of the situation? It could be something as simple as, you know, grabbing your phone out of your pocket and being like, oh, I got to take this call or oh, I just got a really important text. Something like that. Pattern interrupts you right out of the conversation. You can step away. You can make a joke. You can laugh. You could get sullen faced. Whatever you think is going to work in that moment to get you out of that charge. You want to have a plan in place because a well-formed outcome, what it needs at the very least is a general idea of how things could play out in a perfect world. When I work with my clients, when I work with the people in my tribe, we say, okay, where do you want to go? Now let's reverse engineer what could possibly lead you there. Again, knowing flexibility is going to come into play because things rarely play out exactly how we plan them to. But you want to, at the very minimum, have a general idea of what you will do along the way to get you to that well-formed outcome. Then you'll know within yourself, you'll feel it when you begin to shift off that path. Oh, well, I thought I would just crack a joke and grab my phone and, and politely step away from the conversation, but you know, it didn't work out that way because grandma was there and I didn't want to insult her. So I had to stay in this circle and, and, and be involved in this conversation, even though I was uncomfortable. So you can feel that you're deviating from your plan and then you can, your brain will start to show you other opportunities on how you can lessen the emotional charge you're feeling in the moment. I know we want a magic pill that will just magically help us heal, figure all this stuff out, and it'll just be done with. But it doesn't work that way. We live in this immediate society where it's like you can literally push a button and have groceries delivered to your front door an hour later. That's not how healing, that's not how emotions, that's not how clearing out the negative thoughts, that's just not how it works. Right? Even if we clear out five negative thoughts and five negative emotions, two minutes later, a bird could smash into our window and that could elicit something random from our childhood we didn't even know was in there. And now we're feeling negative again and undesirable thoughts come, come back. It's, it's like a constant cleaning out of the house. And I mean, I don't know if this is the best metaphor for it, but it'd be like if you lived at a trash dump and you're sitting there and you've organized all the trash, you've organized all this stuff, you've cleared out the things, you're like, wow, look at this, it was a trash dump. Now it's it's so cleared out. I've recycled everything I can and I've I've healed all of the negative garbage and then a 15 trucks show up and just dump some more shit right there in the middle of it. You're like, damn it, it's back to cleaning it up again. That's a bit how the mind is. There's constant inputs coming in from all these different places. And your mind is making connections to things you've previously experienced. So it knows how to, how to file them. So it knows how to filter them. And then boom, you're back to feeling or thinking the way you used to. And you're like, in your head, you're like, I can't believe I'm still going through this. Like I thought I'd figured this out. But that's the beauty of the brain. That's the beauty of life with infinite possibilities on anything can play out, it's inevitable that something that we have cleared out, something that we have healed is going to show back up into our lives and it's going to, again, elicit the old emotion that we no longer feel is serving us. 
So it's in those moments that we clear out our thoughts, we clear out our feelings, and we just ask ourselves, what is really happening here? Are these people really trying to punk on me because I got sober? Are they feeling less than inside themselves because they wish they could also have this sobriety? Is someone picking on me right now or saying something at this party because um, they are having their own self-esteem issues and they're just trying to take away the attention from themselves by punking on someone else, right? Because every human is going through the same kind of human emotion thought pattern you are in their head. And ultimately, what they're seeking to do is lessen any undesirable emotions and thoughts that they might be having. And in some cases, people will actually go off and attack other people, not physically, but emotionally and mentally, in order to somehow just absolve any kind of negativity they might be feeling about themselves in that moment. And you have to understand. You don't have to understand. It would be beneficial. It would definitely behoove you to understand that if you are going through something in the moment, there's a very good chance everybody else at that party is also experiencing something similar. They're comfortable. They're uncomfortable. They're feeling good. They're hot. They're cold. They're laughing. They're sad. It's it's 2.3 million inputs coming into you every single second. Being able to manage all of those and doing it in a healthy way, I mean, that's asking a lot of your brain. So when you go into, and my tribal member told me to wrap up the show in a way that goes back to the thesis, so let's do that now. One of the primary reasons I got on the microphone today was for you guys to understand that there are going to be things in your life that you are going to want to continue doing that in the past elicited this idea that I want to be intoxicated at this event, that there's going to be alcohol, there's going to be drugs, there's going to be paraphernalia there, and this is how I used to behave. If you don't want to stop going to those events and instead you want to continue to enjoy them, at some point you're going to have to step into that very first time you've ever done it. And you're going to feel fear. There's going to be a lack of confidence. And if you go back to episode 11, which I know is a long time ago, but I'm transcribing my shows right now for a book, and you go back to episode 11, it talks about in there that in order to step through the fear, you have to take on whatever little bit of confidence that you have in that moment, and you just have to do it. You just have to do it. Because it's in the doing that you begin to grow your capabilities of doing it more. So you step through the fear using any vestibule of confidence you have. And in that action, you gain a capability. You gain a slight bit more confidence. And then you do it more. And you repeat. It's a rinse, wash, repeat. So eventually, you stepping through that fear and going to concerts, it's, it's gone because you've gone to 5 or 10 or 20. Now you know you have the capability to go. And in that capability of going, you gain more confidence. And it's within that gaining of the confidence that eventually that fear is no longer there. Because we don't fear something that we've done a lot. If you, if you've, nobody fears tying their shoe because you've done it thousands of times and you could do it with your eyes closed, right? But when you were a little kid learning how to tie your shoe, it could have been very difficult. It could have been very emotionally challenging. Almost like I'm never going to figure out how to do the, the bunny ears. But eventually you do, and it's not even a thing anymore. That's what we're looking for in our sobriety and recovery. Come up with a well-formed outcome, right? Showing up, laying your head down on the pillow. When you were a kid, it was just tying your shoes so you could go outside and play. 
right? Reverse engineer it. How are we going to get there? Well, mom taught us bunny ears. Eventually, you just learn the one loop and spin it around and tuck it underneath and pull method. But it took lots of times to habituate that. That's what we're going to have to do here in our sobriety and recovery. We're going to inevitably... If you want to continue doing some of those things that you enjoy, but you want to do them sober, then eventually you're going to have to do them for the first or the fifth or the tenth time in order to gain the capability and the confidence in knowing you can go there. You can party down with everyone, but you're doing it sober and you end up underneath your electric blanket at the end of the night. And how are we going to accomplish this? You're going to think about ways that things might go a little sideways and then you're going to prepare as well as you can not knowing all the variables. What might happen and what would I do in those moments? Most of the time when we go into a public forum, a public setting, if we're getting triggered, if something activates us, if something cues us to go back to using, it's generally going to be something people said, something that's happening there. If we can take ourselves out of that situation Just walk away from the circle of friends. Step outside into the smoking area and get out of the club for a minute. Whatever it might be, if we can just shift the environment, if we can just move our body from where it is now to somewhere else in that venue, somewhere else outside even, or hell, if you've got to, just in your car going home four hours early. If that's what the moment calls for, then that's what you do. And if somebody wants to get down on you the next day for bailing out on the wedding before, you know, the cake was even cut, hey, I got to take care of me first. Down the line, I'll be more than happy to stay around some of those events. But you know what? All the shots at the bar was just overwhelming and it was time to go home. You make decisions that will fuel your well-formed outcome because other people have their well-formed outcome. And that's more than likely not going to be the same as yours. Unless it's like, you know, your partner is like, I also want to end up in bed underneath the electric blanket with you. Great. So we both have the same well-formed outcome. But if they're not going and laying down in your bed later, there's probably a very good chance their well-formed outcome isn't the same as yours. But I can promise you, there's an intensity in their minds to make sure they get to their well-formed outcome. So you need to have the intensity of your mind to get to your well-formed outcome. Ultimately, You're on this journey and you're on this adventure, sometimes by yourself, sometimes with others. But you want to be focused on your well-formed outcome because at the end of the day, you're the one staring back at yourself in the mirror, looking at yourself, questioning why you didn't do it one way when you could have, or congratulating yourself on why you did do it the way that you decided you wanted to do it. And you're proud of yourself. You're building your confidence. You're building your capabilities. And the next time, you'll have more strength and less fear around this event that you're really wanting to go to. The overarching message in this is that your, well, your well-formed outcome is the most important outcome for you. If it means that you have to leave, if it means you have to exodus, if whatever it means in order for you to wake up the next morning sober, that's it. That's the most important thing. Because if something is going to jeopardize your sobriety and recovery, everything else you're trying to achieve in life is going to take a hit. Yes, you may have to leave the kid's birthday party a little earlier, but are they ultimately going to be happier that you're waking up sober? They may not understand it in the moment, but down the line, they will be able to see it from your point of view when you have a chance to pull them aside and say, this is what was going on for me. And don't you enjoy this version of me? And of course, they're going to love the sober version of you more than the intoxicated version of you. And then boom, shakalaka, then they can get on the same page. And maybe that's a conversation you have before the event. 
if you feel like just leaving and dipping out and what do they used to call it, Irish goodbying, if you feel like that's not going to go over very well, then let some people know, hey, if this thing starts to go a little sideways for me, I'm going to have to cut out because I have my well-formed outcome that I wake up tomorrow morning sober in my bed. And I just want to let you know that that's my driver tonight, but I'm here and I'm ready to have fun. So let's get it on. And I cannot wait for tonight. So that, my friends, is the episode. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. If you'd like to learn NLP, I mean, seriously, this whole episode is just dripping with it. Please, by all means, come and hit me up on any of the social medias. You know how to find me. It's in the show notes. I would love to have you at the next class. It starts in two weeks. Otherwise, Where was I adding this? Inclusivity over exclusivity. The power of positive energy. Release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to sunshine. Glow on. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 